I am really excited this afternoon to be able to share Romans chapter 8 with you. On this Easter Sunday afternoon, we're going to see why the resurrection of Jesus matters more than anything. So why don't we pray, let's bow our heads, and let's ask that God would help us. Father, thank you. Thank you for Easter Sunday. Thank you for the resurrection of Jesus. And we pray that you would help us now. Show us what this all means. Help us to understand, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, our main theme this afternoon as we look at this is going to be the idea of liberation. Easter is a story of liberation. And liberation is a theme that captivates human beings. We love it. I think this is why those YouTube videos of animals being set free are so popular. You know, here is a beautiful whale that's been caught up in fishing nets and some people come and they cut it free and off it goes and it swims off and what we're longing for is that moment when it jumps out of the water for joy. The freedom of liberation. Or the elephant that's fallen into a muddy puddle and can't get out. I've seen a few of these. And uh, people come and they rescue it and out it comes and then off it trots, trumpeting joyfully. Yeah, we love the idea of liberation. There's something in us that resonates with it. I remember this when I was about eight years old. We went on holiday to Denmark. And I noticed that the ladybirds of Denmark were having a really bad time. There were like loads of them that had all fallen into these fountains. And they were drowning. And I set up, genuinely, I set up the Ladybird Liberation Front. And I spent much of my two-week holiday in Denmark rescuing ladybirds from drowning. I would take them from the place of death and I would set them free. And as they flew away, it brought great joy. That's liberation. And I want to introduce you this afternoon to the liberation curve. That's the image I want you to have in your mind this afternoon. The liberation curve is not a curve you want to flatten. This is a curve that starts low in a place of slavery, captivity, struggle. And then you are set free. That's the liberation curve. And Easter is a classic liberation story. It starts with Jesus sealed in the tomb. The body of Jesus lifeless. The stone rolled in place shutting Jesus in, keeping out the light. Here is Jesus lying in darkness, in stillness, in death. But then, on Easter Sunday morning, from that place of death, life springs forth. Slavery is turned to freedom. Sorrow is turned to joy. Darkness is turned to light. Do you see the curve? It's the liberation curve. Jesus rose from the dead. He was set free from the grave. We read it in John 20. Linda read it at the start of our service. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark. Can you not, ah, you can feel the anticipation. Something big is going on here. And that historical moment when Jesus was liberated is the greatest story that's ever been told. And for many people, 
That is all it remains. Just a story. It's a message that inspires, and we sort of like the story, and we like the idea of new hope, we like the idea of new birth and turning over a new leaf. So we've turned Easter into a sort of a celebration of new beginnings. But what if it's meant to be more than that? What if there is more going on here than just an inspirational story? Well, the man who wrote Romans, a man called Paul, clearly thought that there was more going on. He saw in the liberation of Jesus from the grave an event which had far, far far-reaching consequences. You see, just suppose that in his liberation from the grave, we might find the key to our liberation. I mean, that would be amazing. But even that wouldn't go far enough for Paul. No, Paul wants to push it even further. He wants to say that what if, just suppose, in the liberation of Jesus from the grave, we actually find the key to the liberation of all of creation. From the mighty mountains to the deepest oceans, from every creature, every star in the sky, every crashing waterfall, every beautiful sunset, from the thundering elephants of the savannah to the creeping insects of the Amazon rainforest. The whole of creation caught up in his liberation from death. Paul wants to say to us that the resurrection of Jesus stretches further, runs deeper and changes more than we have ever imagined. Look, our view of the resurrection is too small. Jesus has achieved more. We need to get a little glimpse of that this afternoon. And I hope this is going to get you excited as we see what Paul has to say. That is what these few verses in Romans are about. He talks about our liberation and connected to our liberation the liberation of all of creation that's what we need to work out now of course some people say that the world that we live in is just an accident it just happens to be here it spins and spins and spins and spins until eventually it's going to either crash into a star or burn up or or whatever be destroyed Now, that is a very different curve. That is what we might call the destruction curve. So we start here, and the future is destruction. We don't quite know how, but it's going to be destroyed. So here's the question this Easter day. Which curve is right? Is our world heading for liberation, or is our world heading for destruction? Which curve is right? And you might say to me, well, obviously I'd love it to be the liberation one, but it doesn't seem very likely, does it? It seems much more likely that we're just going to be destroyed. Well, Romans 8 says, no, the key to understanding the future of our planet lies in the resurrection of Jesus 2,000 years ago. And so let's get into this part of the Bible and understand it. Do you see the language that Paul uses? He uses these words of liberation. He talks of freedom um, in verse 21. He talks of redemption in verse 23. He talks of glory 
I mean, these are the words that make the human heart sing, right? These are the words that get our blood pumping. These are words of revolution and hope. Who isn't moved when the great liberator comes into sight? When I'm in a situation, perhaps my village is besieged by an army. And I'm longing for liberation. When the great hero comes swooping in to set me free. Who isn't moved by that? The great hero bringing freedom to a downtrodden and forgotten people. It's why the slaves used to sing of their hope. Swing low, sweet chariot. Coming forward to carry me home. Swing low, sweet chariot coming forth to carry me home. It's what we long for. I mean, I imagine that there are ladybirds across Denmark who still sing of their great liberator from the past. Legends are told. They whisper my name in hushed tones. So these verses are going to be worth getting stuck into. Liberation, redemption, glory. These are the things that we love. This is the curve that we want. So let's see if it's true. And even if you aren't used to reading the Bible, and even if all this seems strange to you, I invite you to come. Come and see a vision of the future of this world that is beyond anything that you could imagine. So we're diving into Romans chapter 8. Let me just fill in Romans chapter 1 to 7, just so you know where we are in the book. In Romans, Paul is explaining to us the gospel. He's announcing good news. I mean, uh, great news. World-changing news. God is doing something in this world and we need to know about it. You see, the trouble is, in chapters 1 to 3, Paul shows us that the whole world is guilty before God. We have all sinned. We have all turned away from him, rejected him and chosen to worship other things. The whole world is under God's right anger. But God has done something. He has acted spectacularly in history. Humanity is guilty. And God does not simply ignore it or pretend it doesn't matter. Instead, he deals with our guilt completely. So in chapter 3, we read of how he sent Jesus to die on a cross. And in that death, as Jesus died, he was the sacrifice who pays for all of our guilt. The anger we deserve fell on him so that we could be forgiven. And all who ask, all who trust in this Jesus, our sin is forgiven and we become children of God. So in Romans chapter 8, verse 17, that is how Paul describes us. If we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. To be a Christian means to be taken from that place of guilty and made a child of God. And of course, the question then comes... Well, so why do we still suffer? Why do we live in a world that's still suffering? Well, that's what we're dealing with 
in this section. And I want to just work our way through this with a number of statements to try and show you the logic of what's happening and to help you to feel the liberation curve that is spelled out here. Here is statement one. The future for God's children is glory. That's the future. So look at verse 18 with me. And we're invited to make a comparison. Paul says, I want you to consider this. He says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. He says, come on, make a comparison. I want you to think about this. I want you to compare your present suffering and the future glory that you are heading for. And when you compare those things, it enables you to live with suffering if you know the future is glory. The liberation curve enables you to cope with suffering now in a way that the destruction curve won't. Now we do this all the time with suffering. We weigh up our present suffering and the future that it will bring. We do that all the time. So here I am, I'm an athlete training for the Olympics and I have to wait an extra year to compete. And I consider that the present aching muscles and pain are not worth comparing with the glory of the gold medal that I will receive when I win. You see it? My present suffering, future glory. It is the liberation curve. Of course, if the future is rubbish, then I won't endure the suffering. The greater the future, the greater the suffering that I can presently cope with. So Paul says, okay, Christian... You who are God's child, you who have trusted in Jesus, compare your, future, your current suffering with your future. And he says that the key word to describe the future for God's children is glory. That's what lies ahead, glory. Our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Whatever suffering we may endure now, the future is glory. That is our liberation. Now, there's not much about life in this world that can currently be described as glorious. There are things that are great. There are things that we enjoy. The sun is shining. We can enjoy good things. But they're not glorious. It would be a stretch to use the word glorious to describe this physical body that you see on the screen in front of you. Actually, life in this world feels much more paper thin and fragile. It feels weak and unimpressive. Often life in this world feels more like Good Friday than Easter Sunday. It feels more like suffering and tears than power and joy. Well, God says our present suffering is not worth comparing with the glory that's to come. Now, this future glory that we're promised is certainly not what we deserve. According to Romans uh, chapters 1 to 3, we're guilty. We deserve God's punishment. We deserve punishment, not glory. 
But that is the amazing message of Jesus. He came to take the punishment so that we could share his glory. He takes our shame so that we can share his crown. That's what Easter's all about. Now, I do not yet possess glory. That is not my current state. I am God's child, but I do not yet possess glory. I'm waiting for glory to come when what is temporary will be replaced with what is eternal, when what is weak will be replaced with by what shines. That's the hope that we have. Now, are you one of God's children by faith in Jesus? Have you admitted your sin and asked him for complete forgiveness? Have you been adopted into his family? Because if you have, this is your future. One day you will shine like the sun. And the present suffering of this world will be swallowed up and completely overwhelmed by the glory of what's to come. In another place, in 2 Corinthians 4, Paul can talk about our present suffering as our light and momentary troubles that are achieving for us a glory that far outweighs them all. If we don't have clear that our future is glorious, we'll never cope with suffering now. But the bigger we can see our future, the more we can see of the glory that is to come, the glory of perfect freedom, the glory of freedom from all that is wrong and all that spoils. The more we can see that, the more we will cope with suffering now. That is your future. And if you're not yet one of God's children, I urge you, this Easter day, he says to you, come, come. Come to me, come be one of my children, come find forgiveness of sin and come find a future. That's the liberation curve. So there's the first thing. The future for God's children is glory. But now look at statement number two. This is from verse 19. Here's statement number two. Creation is very excited for that day. Look what verse 19 says. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. I really love this. Creation is sort of personified. This world in which we live kind of becomes like a little child who's bouncing around, standing eagerly on tiptoes, waiting, desperate for this thing to happen. Waiting, waiting, waiting. Is it now? Is it now? Is it soon? When will it happen? waiting for that moment when the children of God are revealed in glory. That's what creation is waiting for. Now that's very different to the way we normally view this world. Normally we view this world as an accident that's just waiting to die. An accident that kind of trundles along until it's destroyed. But no... Paul says the creation is waiting for so much more than just destruction. It is waiting for the moment when the children of God are revealed, when those who are weak become glorious and shine with all of God's glory. That's what it's waiting for. But why is creation so eager for that day? 
Why is creation standing on its tiptoes, anticipating? Well, here's where Paul's argument steps forward. And here's where we push now to an understanding of the bigness of the resurrection of Jesus. Why Easter matters so much. Here's statement three. Okay, so first statement, the future for God's children is glory. Second statement, creation is very excited about that day. Here's the third statement, because creation will share in that glory. The story of creation will be the liberation curve. Not the destruction curve, but liberation. That's what Paul is going to show us now in verses 20 to 21. Let me read that again. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. What is the current state of this creation in which we live? Well, the two words Paul uses are that it is in frustration and decay. Those are the two words. And you see that, right? I mean, surely I don't need to persuade you that we live in a world that is frustrating and decaying. We see that all the time. Yeah, there's stuff that's good that we can enjoy. But it's spoiled. And everything moves from life to death. Everything heads in that direction. Things spoil. So if you drop a grape and it rolls underneath your sofa and you find it three months later. You don't pick it up and go, oh, yummy, what a lovely little treat. You say, this is disgusting, it's decayed, it needs to be thrown away, it's rotten. And everything is like that. Fresh food doesn't stay fresh. Everything has a best before date on it. Nothing stays new. You buy something new and the next day it's not new anymore. Everything's decaying. Even the most rusty, worn-out, clapped-out banger of a car, once upon a time, was someone's pride and joy as they drove it off the car showroom forecourt. This is what scientists call entropy. It's the second law of thermodynamics. Everything goes from order to chaos, from, from life to death. It all heads in that direction. It's a one-way street, and there's nothing you can do about it. That's the way our world is. And it's also true to say that we live in a world of tsunamis and earthquakes and viruses. Why is the world that way? Because you, you might just say, well, it, just the way it is, get over it. But Romans chapter 8 says, no, no, the world is that way because, verse 20, look at it carefully. It has been subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. This world has been subjected to frustration. It has had a sentence passed on it. That indicates that there was a time when creation was not subject to frustration. That there was a time when creation was free, when it was liberated and glorious. That's the world that God made. A world of liberation. But since the creation of the world, it has now been subjected to frustration. Why? Well, it's because humanity chose 
to ignore the God who created us. We chose to not listen to him and we chose to play God and go it ourselves. And so because we rejected God, we were placed under the curse of death, decay. So human beings die because of sin. But that curse on humanity is impacting the whole of the world. There is a connection between humanity and all the rest of creation. When humanity was placed under that frustration, so was creation. And so now we live in a world not of life, but of death. Not of freedom, but of slavery. Not of joy, but of frustration. And that's the world we live in. But look at the last two words of verse 20. When God subjected this world to frustration, he did it in hope. Come on, you've got to hear that. When God subjected this world to frustration, he did it in hope. Because he had a plan. He had a plan not to destroy humanity, not to destroy this creation, but to liberate. It was always his plan that he would act to put things right. It's why he sent Jesus to die on a cross. Jesus takes the punishment, the death, the decay, the suffering that our sin deserves. He takes it all. Then he rises again. And as we put our trust in him, we are raised with him. And as we are raised with him, so creation is liberated and raised too. It is so magnificent. Oh, this Easter Sunday, do you not see the plan that God has? Here is the hope for our world. Here is the hope for our creation. That even our creation will be brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. And we may say, oh, it all sounds very nice. And it would be lovely if it's true. How do you know Well, you know because it rests on that first Easter Sunday. Easter Sunday is a story of liberation. When Jesus rose from the grave, he shows that we too will rise and creation too will be liberated. We have got to stop acting as though the resurrection of Jesus is some little thing that happened that is a nice story. We've got to stop acting as if it is no big deal. It's the biggest deal. It guarantees our future. It guarantees the future of our creation. And I want to say to you, this Easter Sunday, is that your hope? Because it will radically change how you live your life in this world. It means that you... That when we suffer, we will weigh up that suffering in the light of the future glory that is promised us. It will enable us to suffer now because we know of the glory that's to come. Please, this is not kind of make-believe. This is not nice stuff to make us feel happy. This is actually what God is going to do to this planet. This is actually what God is going to do to us as his children. He is going to liberate us forever. 
And if you're not one of his children, then you are missing out on being part of that great liberation. Because those who refuse to listen, those who refuse to come to Jesus for forgiveness, those who refuse to be one of God's children, miss out on the liberation that is ours in him. And instead will face eternal destruction, punishment that sin deserves. So I plead with you this Easter day, lift up your heads, lift up your heads to the glory that's to come. And in this world of suffering, in this world of tears, in this world of pain, in this world of frustration, in this world of decay, know that glory is coming. And a liberated world no longer decays. A liberated world is no longer frustrated. It is beautiful and glorious forever. That's our hope this Easter. Why don't we pray and say thank you to God. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that in the resurrection of Jesus is our liberation and also the liberation of all of creation. Oh, Father, please help us to see it, to know it, to, to live for it. And we pray that we would consider our present sufferings and not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Lord, thank you for all you've done in Jesus' name.